Well, hello, and I want to say hello to the Brentwood campus. It was, again, a privilege to uh, be able to be there live last week. But today we're continuing our fourth uh, message in this series called Hostage. And I'm so glad that as we're moving along, we're, I think, really discovering some really important things as we're understanding what it means to break free from the very things that can hold us hostage. Now, in this series so far, um, we have looked how we can be taken hostage by, and I wonder if you can remember the three we've looked at so far. We've looked at bitterness, we've looked at worry, and we've looked at anger. And um, what has struck me in this, in talking about all these things so far, that we know that the Bible says that, that these things, bitterness and um, you know, anger that's controlling you and worry are, are really sins. I mean, they, they hold us hostage. They cause destruction in, in our very souls and in our relationships and in our walk with God. And yet, what has hit me as, I, as we've looked at these issues is that so often, um, all these are actually rooted in legitimate feelings and desires. And I, I think we really have to understand that. I mean, stop and think about this. I mean, where do we find bitterness, the beginnings of bitterness? Well, bitterness occurs, right, when a wrong is done to, to me. And when a wrong is done to me, I begin to brood over that wrong, which, which obviously turns into what the Bible says, the poisonous root of bitterness. But you got to understand, when that wrong is first done, there's nothing wrong with feeling the injustice and the pain of that wrong. And that's a legitimate feeling to feel that. You know, just to say, oh, it didn't hurt me. Well, it did hurt you. And yet it's when we brood over that hurt that it turns into bitterness. So it starts right, goes bad because of our brokenness. Well, think about worry. There is nothing wrong. We talked about this. There's nothing wrong with genuine concern. You should be concerned about the things that you're responsible for in your everyday life. You should be thinking ahead. If you are under financial stress right now, you should be going to the budget seminar. If you've got health issues, you should be concerned and going to the doctor. There is a place for genuine concern. But again, what happens is, is in our brokenness, genuine concern spins down into this obsessive worry where we say, you know what? God has abandoned me. I've got to just obsess over everything. And it takes me down to this bad place of worry where Jesus says, don't worry like this. That's what the pagans do. And then even think about, about anger. Anger begins where there's an injustice occurs and we feel this sense that this is wrong. It needs to be addressed. And there's that energy. And again, anger is a legitimate emotion towards an injustice. But again, as the Bible warns us, but if you let anger control you, it moves you down to a very destructive place where you can turn into a rage and you can abuse and you can hurt and you can harm. Now, my point is, is that often the things that hold us hostage, yes, they come from our brokenness and sin, but the or origin of them start because that's how God's created us. And sometimes we get all confused about that because we go, well, I shouldn't be feeling this at all, but it is a legitimate feeling. It's what, what happens and where we take it that often we get in trouble. Well, that ties in to our fourth message uh, today as we talk about breaking free from lust. Put it bluntly, God has created us as sexual creatures. That is part of what we're made up of. I mean, we're, we're thinking creatures. 
We, we're, we're, we can reason, we can rationale, we're emotional creatures, but God also created us as sexual creatures. And yet, with that strong sexual passionate desires that course through our hormones and how our bodies are made up and the way we are wired, and, and when we see the Bible saying, you know, when you start to have these strong passionate desires and are expressing it outside of the boundaries of marriage... Well, we're moving down the road of lust. Well, let's get right at it. Um, what is lust? Well, Jesus talks about lust in his Sermon on the Mount. And if you have an outline, or again, I want to encourage you, and if you're also here at the Brentwood campus watching this, uh, you can, uh, or are watching this online, you can go on the YouVersion app and check out the outline there and follow along and make your notes. So what is lust? Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus covers a lot of topics, including this issue of lust. And this is what he says in, in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with, and this is, and I'm just going to add this extra little phrase here, because this is the, what the meaning of the Greek word is here, with the intent to lust, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, Jesus is telling us plainly that it is wrong to have a strong sexual desire with someone other than his or her spouse. Jesus is condemning not natural interest in the opposite sex or even healthy sexual desire, desire I should say, but the, but the deliberate and repeated filling of one's mind with fantasies that would be evil if acted out. And what Jesus is saying is, is if acting out these fantasies is wrong, if that act is wrong, then guess what? So is the intention. Now, as we consider Jesus' words, we see that his directive, and notice the context of this passage, he is speaking directly to men. And so all you ladies here, and I say, oh, oh, we're off the hook. Well, not necessarily, okay? But he is speaking to men. Notice what he says. Anyone who even looks at a woman with the intent to lust has already committed adultery with her, and there's the masculine word, in his heart. So what do we do with this? Well, it's not that woman, women can't fall into the sin of lusting, but the facts do speak for themselves back then and even now. You know, the pornography industry here around the world is driven by men. According to one website I was doing some research on, it said that in 2006, the worldwide pornography industry, now get a load of this, worldwide, this is China, India, every other place, North America, Canada, all this, generated $97 billion in one year. That is more than Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Twitter put all together. Now, um, here's another fact. Hollywood produces about 400 films, full feature films a year. They spend literally 
uh, you know, millions, hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars on those 400 films a year. The pornography industry worldwide produces 11,000 full feature films every year. Um, when I was in Cambodia with World Vision, they took me down to a place where um, men would get young girls and young women picked up to take back to their hotels. And they were trying to rescue these girls from the sex trade, the sex slavery, actually, it was called there. And it, it, was, women, it was women being exploited by men acting out on their sexual desires. And as one person has stated, if you do what's called an historical look at, at, at history and cultures, we have to understand that there's a vicious side to men's sexuality which has been responsible for the most terrible crimes against children, women, and other men. You know, as I was mentioning this to Brent as we were putting this message together, our teaching pastor, I said, you know, it's interesting how taboo this subject is, really, isn't it? I mean, I could have people get up and talk about their struggle with alcohol and everybody would go, oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds, man, yeah, we're, we're with you. Or we could get people to get up and I could get a guy to get up and say, you know what? Um, I smoke crack cocaine. And it seems like everybody goes, wow, maybe you shouldn't be mayor anymore, but you know, we understand, okay? But you know what? You can, you can admit it. You can admit it publicly and, and somehow people go, yeah. So I can talk about my fight with alcohol. I can talk about my fight with drugs. I can even say, you know, I don't manage my money very well. I've overspent. I've used too many Visa cards. I'm, I'm racked right up. But then if all of a sudden, if a guy gets up here and says, hey, you know, I have some real sexual issues and needs. Ooh, ooh. It gets really weird really fast. It's really taboo, isn't it? And so what do we do with it? Well, what we have to do is, first of all, we have to follow Jesus because he talks about it. And when Jesus talks about this, um, I think what we have to, to understand is that we have to understand that as people who've studied the sexual nature of men, the sexual nature of women, but when they really looked at the sexual nature of men, is that people have strong sexual feelings. And the question is, how do we get to express them in a healthy way? And how can they take us down a dangerous path? You know, when Jesus talks about this thing, not to lust in Matthew 5, he gives quite an extreme remedy, right? What does he say? If, if your um, eye, even your good eye, causes you uh, to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. Now, now here's a great moment about how to read the Bible properly, okay? You're going to go, wow, okay, let's get at it. You know, and all the men are walking out tonight with one eye less, you know? No, it's hyperbole. Jesus is making a radical statement to show the seriousness of the situation. And as, as it says here, it says, Jesus' extreme remedy reveals the, the extreme problem. Um, 
there really is a problem, right, when, when, when men's sexuality goes wrong, right? Um, it destroys. I mean, one of the best Bible stories uh, we should always be sharing with each other, and it's around sexuality, it's the story of David. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And it says during the springtime, when normally kings would go off to war, David stayed behind at his palace. And then in verse two, it's a very, very simple verse. Listen to what it says. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of his bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. And as he looked out over the city, he noticed, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. And at that moment, he started going down the road of lust. Because in the very next verse, he sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. And then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he acted out on his lust and he slept with her. And you know what? Just go ahead and read all the rest of the, the pain that happened. He committed adultery. He sinned before God. He lied before his nation. He killed the husband. His whole family fell apart. The nation fell apart because of it. It was chaos. Jesus is saying, you've you got to treat this seriously because if you don't have control of this issue of our sexuality, it will destroy. I've seen it destroy marriages in this church family in the 27 years I've been here. And it all started with lust. Families are destroyed because of it right now. Now, I was reading one, one article, too, and this guy by the name of John Buckingham, he's talking about the seriousness of, of lust, and he says this. He says, sexual addiction is not a thing to be taken lightly. It is a destroyer of relationships and a corrupter of the body of Christ. Satan uses it, uses it against us to crush us and divide us one from another as we cover our shame with lies and half-truths. We simply cannot master it without the power of Christ in our lives. And we must not be reluctant to make any sacrifice in order to break the hold of such sins. To make any excuse for sin is to allow its ever-widening foothold in our lives. And I love this part of what John Buckingham says. He goes, we must be utterly ruthless and aggressive in rooting it out. We can't talk it. So often when we talk about this issue of sexual temptation and lust, we want to talk it down. We got to get aggressive with it and see how serious it is. You know, Jesus knows that often sexual, the sexual sin of lust brings so much hurt and harm to men and women, trapping them in endless cycles of guilt and shame. Now, I said, Jesus said, treat this seriously because one, it destroys, right? But here's another thing it does. It oppresses. And I want to read just a quote from um, Archibald Hart, who is a, um, a psychologist, Christian psychologist, who wrote on, it's called The Sexual Man. And listen to what he says about how it oppresses. And, and I, I just found this fascinating. The oppression of women... And the lack of control of male sexual expression have always been linked together throughout history. Now, let's just take this step further. You don't see one without the other. If women are to be free, then men must control their sexual urges. For men to have unrestrained sexual privileges, women must be in some form of bondage. If sexuality is to be extravagant in a culture, 
women must be compliantly oppressed. Then he goes on to say this. But notice that in today's society, we are rapidly reverting to an uncontrolled sexuality, a widely accepted free sex philosophy in which commitment is not seen by males to be a prerequisite for sexual expression is now rampant. Free sex is once again turning women into chattel. Only at the moment, many of them don't seem to want to see it. Women are being pressured to satisfy men's sexual needs in order to win favor or try to find a marriage partner. This amounts to another form of enslavement. Ultimately, all women must be the losers if the idea that, se- that free sex with no need for commitment continues out of control into this century. Already, we are seeing dramatic changes in masculine attitudes to commitment. Men want full sexual privileges without any obligations, least of all that of marriage. A significant majority of men today appear to be able to satisfy their sexual needs without resorting to or having the need for stable relationships. Fly-by-night sex or one-night stands are the order of the day. Why should I get married? A male patient asked me recently. I can get all the sex I need without any obligations. And he's right. Men no longer have any incentive to build stable, long-term marital relationships. It appears that in today's world, sexual expression is no longer something people think we need to control. And the losers, once again, guess what? Are women. Just think about that. Oh, what we think freedom is. Um, so, so why did Jesus treat this so seriously? They said, gouge it out. Because... Everything that leads the road down to, to where sexuality is out of control and hurtful and harmful, it all starts with lust. That's the beginning of the path. Well, let's move on to the tipping, the tipping point. Um, you know, where do we cross that line into lust? What is the tipping point? You know, again, I just want to say that, that the, the joy of sex is God's plan. You know, the creation account shows us that the joy of sex is what God intended. You know, as young boys mature into manhood, I like this comment I heard um, by Archibald Hart, who I just read. Strong sexual feelings are common to all normal men. They are determined more by hormones than evil desire. I know some guys who go, well, I think about sex in the morning, I think about sex at night, there's something wrong with me. And I would say, no, God created us that way. You know, they're not sinful in and of themselves. They are common and ordinary feelings. Just like the feelings of feeling happy or feeling hurt or feeling angry, they are feelings that God created. Remember I said how all these feelings that we take us down bad roads, but they start in a good place. It's because of our brokenness that they end up taking us down roads that lead to sin. But if we could grab this one truth that these are common and ordinary feelings, That could set us free from a lot of guilt and confusion. That is the nature of male sexuality. I just want to remind you too that being religious does not remove our sexuality. Just to refer to Archibald Hart again, he says um, something very interesting. He says, you know, the average normal male thinks about sex more often than he cares to admit. Men often wake up thinking about it and they go to bed thinking about it. And immediately after being sexually satisfied, the normal male may may be able to focus elsewhere for a while, but it's just a matter of time before his thoughts lead him back to sex. And, And then he says this, and I'm talking about the preacher as much as I'm talking about the truck driver. 
So I go, okay, Archibald, you got my attention. And then I go, then I read this. He says, why doesn't religion remove these sexual feelings? Because religious men have the same physical bodies as everyone else. And the sex drive is primarily a matter of hormones. Getting religious helps with control, but it clearly doesn't take, take sexual desire away. Some of us probably wish our sexuality wasn't so primitive and biological, but it is. And there's no purpose to be in, to trying to dress it up in an ideal way when, when it is what it really is. So, again, um, the joy of sex is God's plan. Let's stop feeling guilty about something that God created. But again, where's that line where you can say, there's a beautiful woman. And then all of a sudden you feel like a line's been crossed. So how, do you, how do you know when the line's been crossed? Actually, let's just watch this um, sports announcer talking about a quarterback's girlfriend. And tell me, when did he cross the line? Let's watch. Uh, when you're a quarterback at Alabama, you see that lovely lady there. She does go to Auburn. I want to admit that. But she also, this Alabama, and that's A.J. McCarron's girlfriend, okay? And right there on the right is D.D. Bonner. That's AJ's mom. Wow, I'm telling you, quarterbacks, you get all the good-looking <laughs> women. Ah, it's a, what a beautiful woman. Wow, he's, AJ's doing Whoa. Some, some things right down at So if you're a youngster in Alabama, start getting the football out and throw it around the backyard with pop. Okay, guys, did you hear that? Start getting the football out and start throwing around the backyard. Now, did you notice at first, he just said, there's, there's the quarterback's girlfriend. You know, what, she's, she's Miss Alabama. And if he had just stopped, I think he was okay. He did get in trouble for these comments, by the way, because at, then all of a sudden, did you hear him go, wow, man, wow, did you see, whoa. <laughs> I think he was crossing the line, okay? That's called crossing the line, publicly in front of hundreds of thousands of people. And here's what, guess what? Just to show you again the power of that, of that attraction. And I'm, oh, tonight, I'll just, and to, to, I mean, today, we, let's look at this really quick. Um, I was actually watching a bigger news report on that incident. And um, for those of you who are into Twitter or, you know, you have followers and all that, she had before the game 300 followers. Before the game was over, after she was put on national TV and he was going, wow, look at her. She had 150,000. Wow. Okay. So there you go. Um, here we go. So, so, so again, but Jesus here reminds us about the lines of sexual purity. Um, he, you know, we have to understand the male sex drive is a powerful force and what Jesus is telling us in this Matthew 5 passage is he says, even if you, if you look at a woman, you know, lustfully in your heart, you've already committed adultery. And please understand, lust ultimately is a strong desire to have. And what, what Jesus is saying is that the intent is as wrong as the act. That's the hard news. But Jesus is also saying that we, can, we have a choice that we can control and focus our sexual energy in a healthy manner. We do have a choice. 
Um, Paul writes about this choice in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 5. Listen to what he says. God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body. Notice he does use a masculine there, but I think he's being more inclusive at this point. But he does talk to the guys again. You will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God in his ways. So where do we go with all this? Well, let me just end up with, with um, this statement. I really believe we need to embrace the struggle. I think some people who have struggled with lust in their life, as much as they struggle with anger or struggle with worry, but for some people, and, and again, Jesus is talking to guys who struggle with lust. Um, he's saying, um, embrace the struggle. He's saying, deal with it, wrestle with it. And you may say, I just wish I, I just wish I, I, I could walk out and, and, and I wish I wasn't in a culture that glorified sex. And I just wish every time I turn on the TV, there wasn't another sexy ad on. I just, I just wish I could be free from this. But guess what? This is the culture we're in. And here's what gives me hope about embracing the struggle. When I turn and read in Romans chapter six through chapter eight, Paul here is talking about finding um, power over sin. He's saying that sin's power, including lust's power, um, there, there's victory here. And, and I would encourage you, I'm not going to read through all chapters 6 to 8 here right now, but I just want to remind you that he is saying that sin is now broken because of the Spirit of God, because of God's work in Christ. In fact, in verse uh, 12 of chapter 6, he simply says this, Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to its sinful desires. Um, you, you, you are now dead to sin. Um, how can we embrace the struggle? Well, first of all, let me encourage you that we can change our behavior. And changing our behavior begins with a very simple word, stop. And how do we stop? Well, here are some ways we can stop. We can, first of all, flee. Yes, sometimes the best thing to do is just get out of sin's um, temptation when it comes to lust. I'll take you back to the Old Testament story of Joseph and the governor's wife that he was working at her house and he was the slave, but he was in control of the whole house. He was, he was the top sort of servant of the house. And Joseph and the wife, though, really had a desire. She was lusting after Joseph in this case. And, and Joseph and her were alone in the room one day and she grabs Joseph's cloak and she says, come to bed with me. And you know what Joseph does? He doesn't sit there and have a rational discussion with her. He takes off. It says he flees. Sometimes because of our, our hormonal makeup as guys, you don't talk anymore. You just get away from it. You've got to flee. In fact, Paul writes to Timothy, a young pastor, and says, flee all those um, sexual temptations that are, just run away from it. Just don't talk, run. Here's another way we can stop. We just cut it off. We, we take radical action to remove what causes us to walk down the path of lust. Now, now here's what's interesting. Jesus says, gouge out your eye. You know, it could be that for some of us, we have to take our smart device in which now they say more pornography is available through this than any, almost any other source. And you need to go home and throw it in the garbage. And you're saying, but Dave, this is my smart device. 
This is how I, I'm linked to the world. You know what? If it's going to destroy your marriage, if it's going to destroy your understanding of sexuality, if it's going to destroy your soul, throw the smartphone away. Get rid of the internet if you have to. You may say, that's crazy, Dave. You don't get rid of the internet in our world today or the 21st century. Listen, if it's going to destroy you, get rid of it. Um, here's, another, here's the other uh, stopping action you need to do. Put it to death. In Romans 8, 13, it says this. It says, for if you live... Um, let me make sure I have the right... Yeah, if you live... By its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. You got to put it to death. You know, the other way that we're going to embrace the struggle is we need just to be filled with the Spirit. You know, here's the mystery of the Christian faith is that as much as we need to do our part, we also need to trust God, that God's at work in us, that we can be led by the presence of God. We need to let the Spirit of God control us. And that means often, sometimes what happens is we say, okay, I'm going to put away the things that are causing me to lust, but what we really need to do, instead of just removing it, we need to be replacing it with the very things of God. You know, that's why it says to be filled with the, with the fruits of the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit of God. And you know, ultimately, when you're filled with the Spirit of God, guess what you're filled with? You're filled with love. And guess what? Love is the best foundation for sex. And here's the last one, if we're going to um, embrace the struggle. The Bible calls us to bear each other's burdens. Bottom line because sexuality is such a taboo subject, again, I could get up here and say, I'm struggling with alcohol, and I'd have people come and say, brother, we know what you're going through. And they put their arms around me. And I could say, I'm struggling with money management, and someone else would come up and say, brother, I know what you're going through. Put my arms around me. But guess what? I'm convinced that every guy who's watching this video today or listening to this message struggles with sexual temptation in some form or another, and we need to be able to talk about what we're wrestling with instead of hiding in shame and guilt and just going through cycles of guilt and shame and just feeling further and further from God. You know, Paul talks about his struggle with sin, actually back to this Romans 6 to chapters 8, but in chapter 7, listen to what he says. He says in verse 24, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin, lust, in this case, and death? And then he says this, though. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, the answer is in Jesus. But here's where he is the answer for us. Because remember what I said? Lust often calls, causes cycles of guilt and shame. And yet when we really draw near to Jesus, we can find forgiveness and we can find hope and we can find healing. But you know what happens to a lot of people when it comes to this issue of lust? We fall into not healthy guilt. We fall into what's called neurotic guilt that only demands punishment rather than having healthy repentance that seeks forgiveness. You see, neurotic guilt says, I got to punish myself and punish myself for doing this instead of saying, I got to come to Jesus and really just find forgiveness. And I'm going to take it one step at a time and trust him as I move towards freedom. Well, I don't think I can talk anymore about this. It's a hard one to speak about. I like what Archibald Hart says. He says, we live in a culture of neurotic sex. Think about it. $97 billion worldwide. Women are oppressed because of it. Children are being destroyed because of it. 
And men are trapped. Thanks be to God. The answer is in Jesus Christ. You know, I'm going to end. I want to end with a prayer. I'm going to ask the worship team to come at this time. And actually, I'm going to release this at this time to uh, Pastor Carolyn. I want her to be leading this prayer in real time at the Brentwood campus for this ministry moment. We had a responsive prayer around a remembrance. I have one final responsive prayer I want to invite you to participate in. You can say it quietly along with me, but again, it's just going to be one phrase that I'm going to ask you to say. I'm going to say some sentences, and then I just want you to say, Jesus, we need, we need your help. Jesus, we need your help. And this prayer is called um, Abusing a Precious Gift. When all is not what it seems, when evil masquerades are as good, and when it seems the wrong path is calling us, Jesus, we need your help. When sexually explicit images appear before us and when curiosity and desire urge us to linger, when it seems innocent just to look, Jesus, we need your help. When we make sexual comments in a social setting and when our words make another uncomfortable and when it seems funny at the time, Jesus, we need your help. And when affection turns to passion, when we are not committed in marriage, and when it seems there's no point in waiting, Jesus, we need your help. And when sexual desire sparks inside us, when we know we are committed to someone else, when it seems harmless just to imagine, Jesus, we need your help. And when we touch someone who does not want to be touched, and when we trespass where we should not go, when it seems that no one could prove it happened, Jesus, we need your help. And when having sex is all about me, and when we give hardly a thought to our partner, when it seems normal to live this way, Jesus, we need your help. And when we want to act on our sexual desires, when that person is a child, and when it seems that they'll never remember, Jesus, we need your help. And when we use our sexuality carelessly, and when we abuse this precious gift, and when we are confused and broken, now read this one, Jesus, your help saves us. Thanks be to God. The answer is in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.